The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. John Gray, who is best known for being the best-selling relationship author of all time. John has actually authored 16 books uh, over the decades, and his latest book, Why Mars and Venus Collide, is at the end of a long string of books about Mars and Venus, and we're going to have John talk about that a little bit. He's known as an absolutely extraordinary relationship coach, um, has taught many people for years how to be themselves and be better in relationship. John, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be with you. It's great to have you here today. Now, where are you today? Well, uh, I'm in my office in Mill Valley, in California. California. Ah, so you live in that area, right, Northern California? Yeah, it's right over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. Oh, nice, nice. Now, that's a long way from where you were born. Houston, Texas. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mother was from California. Oh. So I came, came back to my roots. And so it's in your genes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, today we have the opportunity to talk, you know, not only about how you even got into this whole world of relationships, but um, kind of, you know, the path you took to get there, and also what is most important and what's kind of uppermost for you on your mind and what you're working on. So let's just start way back. Let's start at the beginning. So I have heard that um, you were born into a family that, in Texas, um, very traditional your father was an oil man. Your mother was a stay-at-home mom. That's correct. So tell us about your childhood. Tell us a little bit about what stands out for you as a kid. Well, I think in talking about my childhood, I, I'd like to put it in some sort of reference of usefulness to people. <laughs> Otherwise, it's, it doesn't seem to be that <laughs> useful. But a lot of my work today is is trying to help women lower stress in their lives. And I have an example of a mother who, due to her circumstances, had very low stress. And, uh, I mean, she raised six boys and one girl. So uh, parents today go, my gosh, you know, what a stressful job. And, you know, stress is all, you know, the way how you respond to a situation. You know, you can have a stressful situation but not respond in a stressful way. Or you can have a moderately stressful situation and respond in a very stressful way. So we have what's called the stress response. And... I have a perspective in teaching women today what they're missing. They don't know what they're missing because they didn't even see it. They didn't experience it. And what they're missing in terms of ideal situations is when a woman is in a situation where she feels supported and where she feels she has enough time, uh, then her stress levels drop 
much lower. And today, women don't feel supported. They don't feel they have enough time. They don't feel they have enough energy. Mm-hmm. And as a result, uh, they have a whole different perspective of the world and of men. And I grew up in a family where, you know, my mother had um, someone to help her. Uh, she had a husband who was away most of the time during the day, but he earned a living to provide for her, you know, the old provider, homemaker role. And when my dad came home, she really had very few expectations of him, anything more. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, they had a very peaceful, loving relationship. Mm-hmm. And I see today that when we expect more from our partners uh, than previous generations, uh, we, we're, we're we're creating fertile ground for trouble. Now, I'm not in any way saying that we should go back into the past. That's what people would immediately assume. I'm saying we need to extract the wisdom of the past and integrate it into the new world that we're living today. But for me, you know, I, I had a mother whose greatest joy was giving to her family and her children and never ran out of energy, never stopped. I was always on the go, first up and last to go to bed. And it was amazing, and that, that's just what I saw in women. You know, that was my role model as a woman. Right. And it's, it was shocking to me when I would see what women are going through today. And analyzing that whole problem, then I was able to uh, write a book, which is the book Why Mars and Venus Collide, and a new book that's coming out uh, in December um, and uh, March of next year, which is uh, Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice, Ooh. which is what I'm seeing today. It's just almost like the common theme in relationships today is that women are more stressed, they're overwhelmed, and men are stressed, but it doesn't show up the way it does in women, whereas women are aware of the problem. Men become unaware of the stress, and they just sort of want to uh, zone out, you know, watch TV, read a magazine, lose themselves in sports. And as a coping mechanism against all the stress in their lives. So our lives are more stressful than ever before, even though we have all these modern conveniences and so forth. Right. Uh, it doesn't lower stress. It actually increases stress because the kind of stress that, that hurts our health, that lowers our energy, that disturbs our sleep, that uh, interferes with positive, constant, positive mood, um, that kind of stress is stimulated through change. And our lives are filled with so many decisions regarding change. You know, should I do this? Should I do that? Mm. The irony is we want more freedom, we want more options, but with more options comes more stress. Right. Unless we learn how to cope effectively with that stress. And we're right now in a global transition of trying to figure that out. And, you know, the, the metaphor here is if you look at women, they're on fire. Uh, they're overwhelmed, and then they get in their 40s and 50s. They're having hot flashes. They're not sleeping well. <laughs> And you can see the same thing happening on the planet. The planet is on fire. Uh, women have neglected their happiness. There's a recent article in Time magazine. I think it's probably based on my last book. And, and, but it's, um, it's the, the new trend, which is women have more power. Women have, make more money. They have more money. Uh, equal, almost equal number of women in the workplace. Forty percent of women are the primary uh, providers in their family, financial providers. This is all a huge uh, reversal of the way things used to be, obviously. Mm. And while women have more power, they have more options, they have more freedom, their level of happiness has dramatically dropped. Their level of stress has dramatically gone up. It's doubled. And it's well, doubled that of a man in a workplace. You can actually measure the stress response by a hormone called cortisol. Uh-huh. And it's twice as high in women as men in the workplace. And then when men and women come home, 
for a man, it drops back down, and for a woman, it doubles again. So she's off the chart in terms of stress if you were to compare her to my mother's generation. Right, right. Well, and you talk about that in um, some of your recent writings about this chemical, this actual chemical reaction that goes on in the body. It's physiological. Uh, well, what do we do about that? I mean, is that why everybody's taking antidepressants and et cetera? I mean, is that... Yes, yep. yeah. And then, then the next... You know, the wave of antidepressants is already on the way down. People are realizing that, first of all, only one out of three times has even helped somebody. And even when it does help symptoms, it actually makes the problem worse. Uh, when you take an antidepressant, there are SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. When you take one of these, like Prozac, Zoloft, those types of things, for every single person that takes them, their cortisol levels double. So just taking an antidepressant actually raises the stress level in your body while it may suppress bad moods temporarily. Well, how Uh, does it do that? How does it raise the cortisol? Well, that's a technical question, but I've uh, taken many years to figure it out. The research only proves it, Uh, but actually what happens is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, what it means is that normally when your brain, when something good happens, your brain produces a little serotonin and says, that was a good thing. And then it takes that serotonin away and it says, if you want more to feel good, you need to do that thing again. <laughs> so that's a feedback loop. It's a positive right. feedback loop. Right. What drugs do is they interfere with that natural feedback loop and your brain makes a little serotonin. It inhibits the reuptake of the serotonin. So if you have something to make you feel good, then you continue feeling good. Uh, and as opposed to a normal person's brain, you feel good when you do good things, and you don't feel good if you don't do good things. Mm. So it's what motivates us to do what's good and also helps us to recognize what's good for us and not good for us. That goes out the window. But when when you uh, start flooding the brain with serotonin in that sense, meaning receptor sites, you're no longer pulling the serotonin out, what they've proven is that there's a downregulation or desensitization of serotonin receptor sites. And as soon as that happens, the same receptor sites for serotonin are the receptor sites for a hormone called oxytocin. Hmm. So now the receptor sites for oxytocin are desensitized. And it's oxytocin, this nurturing hormone, that lowers stress in women. So suddenly the oxytocin that would normally be produced from, say, having a friendship or getting a massage, or going for a walk in nature. These are things that really nourish the female spirit because they produce oxytocin. And for women, oxytocin lowers their cortisol levels, lowers their stress levels. But the antidepressant desensitizes the receptor sites to oxytocin. And wow. suddenly, even if you're making some oxytocin, it doesn't have any effect. And so now your, your stress levels double. This is not going to happen with men, but it happens with women. It must be pretty controversial because when you think about um, the use of antidepressants in our society, and, and there are people who say that, you know, it's pretty much saved their lives. And, and yeah, and I'm not against that. It's an emergency window. treatment that you do for a short-term sure. period of time sure, sure. to find and address the cause of the problem right. and then uh, right. fix it. Create the window, yeah. Well, what is it that got you... Well, when you say it's controversial, I mean, basically, there's even ads on TV which are saying, take it, I think it's Ambilify or something, 
and that they're putting it right on TV that research shows that only one out of three people are positively affected by an antidepressant. Right, right. Use right. their new drug, and you'll have more chances of success. Right. But that, those, those, uh, there's a growing awareness of people realizing that that's not the solution. And the, then the next misleading answer is hormone replacement. Mm. And clearly, hormone replacement, and my experience with people, when it's done correctly, is way more effective than any antidepressant. It's still going to create uh, problems and side effects. Sure. The real solution is getting to the cause of the problem and yeah. addressing it there. Right, right. So I'm really curious about what is it in your life, you know, way back when, that really got you even curious about relationships and, and to delve into it this deeply? I mean, what started this in you? I don't know so much if I've ever even been interested in relationships. It's just that's the irony, being a relationship expert. <laughs> but, but maybe that's why I needed to become an expert. At it, oh. it wasn't... Uh, you know, I mean, there was always a curiosity there. Um, I really am more interested in full potential. Mm. You know, developing genius capabilities, developing full potential. Deve- you know, as a younger person, uh, you know, my parents were rather esoteric. My mother had a spiritual bookstore at a certain point when I was a teenager and her mm. kids had grown up. She opened up a spiritual bookstore just from her own library of spiritual books, and not just religious books, but re- religious books from all. Uh, cultures around the world and ancient books and texts and my dad was a uh, although he was christian he was also a, a study a student of the kabbalah which is an ancient jewish esoteric text okay. so that yeah, this is a long time ago in houston texas you know when i was three years old my dad taught us all yoga <laughs> you know so we were all family doing yoga in houston texas if you could imagine that so my parents and did have sort of an outside the box perspective and i was exposed to you know, people like Yogananda as a baby and, and, and these types of Indian yogis from India and so forth, although we were, you know, straight uh, Christian family as well and growing up in Texas. So there was a lot of um, a expanded awareness, so, so to speak, and that went into me. And I've always had, you know, Marvel comics, if you remember that, all the movies yeah. are now based on them, but the idea of Superman, superpowers, extraordinary abilities, you know, now kids are obsessed with the vampire movies because the vampires have superpowers. You know, people know there's some higher power, you know, within us. We have a potential, and can we find that? That, for me, has, has, was, um, you know, certainly uh, not well-grounded in terms of comic book thinking, but it was a, a motivation for me. And back when everybody was getting high on drugs, there was an alternative which was what the Beatles did. They went to India and studied meditation. And so I thought, wow, that sounds really great because uh, I didn't want the side effects of taking drugs. So, you know, meditation was a way to uh, expand your awareness, develop powers, as some people thought, and develop your full potential, which is the real power, is find out who you are and express yourself in this world in a successful way. But it's taken me a long time to define power as that before it was all this enlightenment stuff, and I went off and got enlightened. I was nine years as a monk. I was Marshy's personal assistant. He was the founder of the Transcendental Meditation Movement. I trained with him, uh, under him, but the primary trainer for 15,000 teachers of Transcendental Meditation. We had millions of people start yoga and meditation back in the early 70s. So, you know, that was a big a big journey for me. And uh, what it did, and I clearly believe it to this day, is if people have some sort of discipline they will develop their potential. For me, the discipline was meditation and yoga. 
And it, after you do 10,000 hours of any practice, you become an a, yeah. a expert. Right. And Mastery. I became expert meditator, you know, gained my enlightenment that way. But basically, if I spent 10,000 hours with a violin, I would gain enlightenment with a violin. Right. <laughs> it's, it's really finding expertise is became then my journey, developing my potential at something helps us to find out who we are, what we can do, and you follow your heart's passion and so forth. And having spent my life as a monk, I had no relationships uh, with women particularly. I had a relationship with God, a relationship with the students there, and my teacher who taught me to teach the students. But they weren't really personal relationships. It was all around a message and a teaching. And so here I am at 28 years old, having sort of achieved this sort of peak state of, of excellence in my field. And uh, it was time to do something else. And I came back out in the world and uh, was no longer a monk and wanted to find out what to do and uh, found women very appealing. <laughs> so, so I started having lots of relationships with women around 28 years old. And what happened is I had a whole different perspective than most people have. I entered into the world of sexual relationships and intimate relationships, um, uh, loving relationships, from a foundation of already having found a way to be happy without depending on anybody. And I was able to be completely self-sufficient, quite fulfilled, without needing intimate relationships. And from that place of fulfillment, uh, experience, directly experience, that my fulfillment would go to a higher level by sharing what I had. But it wasn't based upon needing someone to make me feel good, as I already felt good. But I could feel better. I could feel great in sharing that with somebody. So, to, to uh, so it was a whole different journey of learning to. Most people kind of find their fulfillment through their partner. I had already found my fulfillment and was gaining sort of dessert by being in a relationship, and it gave me another perspective on why relationships go south. Oh, interesting. Well, I know that um, the first book you wrote. Um, well, I don't know if it was the very first book you wrote, but the first book that got a lot of notice, um, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, you introduced the idea that men and women are hardwired differently and that there was actual reason for this. There was This was not just, you know, because people had different roles in society, but that actually people had gravitated to different roles in society because there was actually a hardwired reason for that. And at the time, um, you know, when I think about even myself when I read this, I had a lot of resistance to that thinking. I was in the age where, um, you know, I was strong, independent, professional, young woman making my way, and I'm thinking, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, we can be anything we want to be, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, you know, didn't really take it to what you intended it to be. Did you get a lot of pushback on this when you wrote that first book? Uh, in the beginning, uh, before I wrote the book, actually, is where I got the pushback. I, I taught the ideas for nine years before I wrote Men Are From Mars. Mm. And that was a, a time of honing this, the, the delivery of the message and developing the message during that time. But I had to continue developing it in a way that would be equal, equally fair to both men and women. And uh, and not be taken in the wrong way that I that you know I'm basically it would sound too much like I'm a sexist saying that women should be in the kitchen right. like my mother was right. and men should be out being the providers you know I'm completely into progress but what I have to see is that progress is not about everybody blending into being the same yeah. but it's recognizing that we are really different and honoring those differences is what real respect is. Right. 
Well, that is really interesting, John. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about why Mars and Venus collide. We'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leaders the world has been waiting for. Call today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back. We're speaking with John Gray today, the author of Why Mars and Venus Collide and his upcoming book, Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice. So, John, let's talk a little bit more about you and your path. We talked a lot in the last segment about the transcendental meditation that you spent a lot of years um, not only doing but teaching and developing throughout the world. And and then you moved into an arena um, where you became certified as a family therapist. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, there must be a lot of crossover between that work and meditation and doing therapy um, with people. Um, you know, wh- what similarities have you found? Well, it's interesting. It's my life has sort of become a full circle now. At the time, it wasn't when I made the transition. It was like uh, everything I had taught was about meditation and personal growth and stress reduction and wellness and all these things based upon uh, finding inner fulfillment. And it wasn't uh, based upon finding fulfillment through sharing with another person. Uh, that was my expertise. But if I think you go to the extreme of one thing, you always find yourself in the opposite direction. There's sort of a principle like that, but it was certainly true in my life. And that uh, I had really developed a message uh, under someone else's message. And the only thing that my main teacher, people would call them a guru, uh, but I would just call him my main teacher in life at that time as a young man, my mentor, 
uh, I, the main thing he didn't teach was, was relationships or uh, sex. So this was a, an area that I could develop on my own. The creativity was bursting inside of me, wanting to express my potential in some way. Uh, that coincided with just the fact that I really was looking forward to having relationships after being a monk for nine years. It just sort of naturally emerged in me. And I had a, a knack when people would take my classes, I started teaching classes because I've been a teacher all that time. I was teaching what I was most interested in, which was sex. And I mean, this is ironic. You know, I was, nine, I was yeah. a monk for nine years, no sex, and now I'm teaching workshops on sex. And I put it right out there. I said, look, I've I'm, I'm been celibate for nine years, and I'm teaching this workshop on sex, but it's not just about sex. It's enlightened sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to combine many of the ideas I learned being a monk with the ideas that I'm learning about sexuality and my own journey before I started teaching those workshops is kind of fun to think about it, but it was a fun part of my life. Having not had sex for nine years, I was traveling around having sex with lots of women, I mean, <laughs> uh, lots. Uh, you know, women, I would travel one town to another town and had various relationships, open relationships. Everybody knew about it, everybody else. And it was quite enticing for women because I'd say, you know, I've, I've been a monk. I need to learn about a woman and her, what makes her happy. And women were very happy to tell me. And, and most men don't have that freedom. You know, we're, most men are like, we're supposed to know. In this case, I wasn't supposed to know, and they really enjoyed teaching me. And I had some great teachers. And then I just conveyed what I learned, and I created a workshop setting where, where it was safe for both men and women to talk about what they liked, what made them feel good, what was the best sex, what was the worst sex, what they could learn from that. And from that place integrating a lot of the spiritual ideas that had become a foundation in my life up to that point mm. and created a course called Enlightened Sexuality. And from there, from, you know, from sex leads to love and intimacy and, and began applying you know, my insights that I had learned for the 10 years of, as a teacher before to the world of relationships. But I think the distinction was I was always coming from a place of not blaming others. You know, so much of the problems that couples have is they blame each other, and blame is always based upon wanting to change your partner, saying you should be different. Hmm. And wanting someone to change and be different is really wanting them to be like ourselves, and and that's because we have this neediness. And I did not have that neediness. I had found my source of fulfillment from inside through years of yoga and meditation Mm. and was quite fulfilled. And so relationships were not about changing other people. And when I would counsel couples, I would think, gosh, they are like from another planet. (laughs) (laughs) And particularly women. I would look at women and go, this is amazing that they react the way they react. But I didn't judge women for it. I just began to embrace the idea that maybe they are really, really different. And I even would, would just do tests and say, imagine that they're completely opposite in many ways. Let me just explore that possibility. And there were, cha- you know, there were things I did not learn in school, for sure, Sure. Uh, which I tried out, like the idea of just letting women talk and not trying to fix anything. Uh, with a, if a man comes into a counseling room, within 10 minutes, you better say something that he did not know before, otherwise he's going to think he's wasting his money. And with a woman, you do just the opposite. You, you don't teach them anything. You, you get them to talk, and you learn more about her. Mm-hmm. And if I can learn more about her, uh, then she'll feel that uh, she's getting a really good counseling session. So I didn't understand why that worked so much at the time. I just found that it worked really effectively. Now it's 25, 30 years later. I've discovered the, the actual brain physiology of what's going on is that when... when uh, Women talk about problems. 
the pituitary gland releases a hormone called oxytocin, and oxytocin has the effect of lowering cortisol levels in a woman. Right, it doesn't right. lower cortisol in a man. That's why right. 90% of the people who go to therapy are women, because just talking about problems will lower stress levels. Now, what's interesting, and I've seen other people's research on this, I've seen it myself in my practice, is that generally couples or individuals, women particularly, make the most progress in therapy in the first six sessions. Hmm. And after that, they're hoping to continue getting that progress, kind of like a drug. You take the drug and then it really has a big effect, and for years later you're still trying to get that big effect. But to a great extent, the reason therapy was always so effective for clients in those first six sessions is that women come into therapy with the expectation that this person's going to help them maybe solve mm-hmm. a problem. Right. But they also intuitively know they can't really give me any good advice until they fully understand the problem. Mm-hmm. And so women will have this sense of, all right, for the first several sessions, we're just exploring and understanding the whole their you know, what's going on in her life and what the conditions are and so forth. So she's not expecting an immediate solution. Right, right. And if a woman can talk about a problem without trying to solve it, then a lot of this hormone called oxytocin gets produced, and that lowers her stress levels, and then she has less problems. Well, now, when you began to discover some of this and move into this arena, were your parents still alive? Yes, they would come to my workshops. And and what did they think about all this? They thought it was brilliant. They were very proud of me. It was very, very fulfilling for me. And, you know, my dad my dad never saw the success of Men Are From Mars. He saw the success of my seminars before I wrote the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My seminars were actually extremely successful even before I wrote the book. Yeah. I traveled around the country teaching them, and they were sold out in big crowds, and people loved it. And my dad would come. And then I wrote the book, and... Uh, that went to a whole nother level of success, and sure. uh, my mother was able to come and see the... My mother had a bookstore, so she saw, you know, Men Are From Mars being number right. one for six or six oh. or seven years, so that That's was very great. fulfilling for her. That's great. So, and you come from a, a fairly large family. How many six boys, one girl. Oh, my gosh. You even grew up with um, more boys than women, so... Well, women were a mystery to me. That's the whole key. I had, a, I had a, a mother who was a very positive, non-needy, non-victim, very happy uh, lady who was full of energy. And I've even been able to understand how she was able to create that. Right. So I have that positive picture of women, had no negative experiences of women, and then became a therapist trying to understand why women have become what they've become. Really, it was right. a curiosity which led into a, an understanding of how women think and feel differently, and in, a, and in a man's world, how devastating that can be to her. Right. Well, John, we have more to talk about when we come right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with John Gray this morning, author of Why Mars and Venus Collide and his upcoming book, Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice. So, John, you've talked a lot about um, the physiology of, you know, how women and men differ. And, and I do think it's interesting that you talk about how the planet's on fire and women are on fire. And there's a large population, baby boomers, um, who have moved into their 40s and 50s and 60s who have who are experiencing menopause. And so the concept women are on fire is absolutely right on. And... So it seems that this population, the baby boomers, have such an effect on what happens in the world. And, and it seems like maybe that ha- that's because of um, just the sheer numbers, right? Boomers, right? Clearly. Um, and when you when you look back into the '60s and, and kind of the whole um, what was going on in society, at least in U.S. society, um, and this generation of we can have whatever we want. Can you explain a little bit about what went on, you know, with that generation saying we can have whatever we want, we want things to be different, and then moving into, you know, the corporate world and, you know, kind of becoming conformists, and now moving into this this age of 40s, 50s, and 60s where adults in general start saying, you know, that, that this is, is this all there is? I mean, is, the, is this now affecting kind of the way um, this generation is now looking at the world again? Well, you covered a good five different subjects there. <laughs> but, but if you want, I, I can pick up with the last one. I agree with everything you just said. And uh, we, we did go from a, you know, a, a huge boom after World War II. America was suddenly on top of the world stage, and we were the great heroes, and it was bursting with all possibilities. And then on top of that, we had rock and roll music, which was yeah. greatly inspired with the Beatles and the Stones and the Led Zeppelin. I mean, this was a time of... At Woodstock and all that of of peace and love, you know, we we had sort of conquered the evil, and now there was great potential, and people were learning meditation and yoga, and and learning that sugar was destructive. I mean, this was, sugar blues came out back then, you know. I mean, yeah. even now people are finally figuring it out that sugar is poison, but yeah. <laughs> it takes a while yeah. for these things to integrate in. Right. But it was a huge uh, global burst of awareness for change, and. Uh, uh, unfortunately, you, the process of growth is one of inspiration and then perspiration. You have to figure out then how to make your dreams come true. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're in the process of doing that. And one of the big changes that's really not off, doesn't always get as much media, 
one of the biggest changes is the shift of women into the workplace and what that has done to our society. You know, with every step of growth, there are new problems. Sure. And there are a huge bunch of new problems that are related to women moving into the workplace. Uh, I'll just go down the list, but one of them would be our economic uh, bubble that we just burst, which is when suddenly you have you go from one uh, provider to a family to pay for the house, to pay for the bills, to now having two, suddenly the cost of living doubled. Because well, because you're living to your means, right? Yeah, because people always, people, their nature is to spend everything they've got. Yeah, yeah. And on a certain level, that's pretty much human nature is to develop your potential and use it. So people are going to use it. So if you've got two people out there earning twice as much money now, you're going to go buy a bigger and better house. And then suddenly houses all go up in value. And now people are paying fortunes for you know, just to live in a house when it used right. to be a very small percent of their income. So, you know, that's a huge crisis just on an economic level. And then we mm-hmm. adjusted to that by borrowing money on our houses and continued mm-hmm. to ride that bubble up. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a real problem, without a doubt. But then you've got the other even bigger problem, which is the cost on our health. We have this massive health care crisis today. And what people it, – it, it's, it's scientifically indisputable, what I'm about to say, and yet nobody dwells on this. And I'll point out why they don't dwell on the, what the real problem here is with our health care. has nothing to do with the health care system. The health care system has completely failed. The last thing we need is more of it. What we need is more education to teach people why they're suddenly getting sick mm-hmm. instead of justifying a system that's failed people and trying to make more of that system available to people. And it's a brilliant system when it comes to emergency treatment. I mean, may pull it in the right light. But emergency treatment should be emergency treatment. It yeah. should be 10% of all medical treatment. Right now, drugs and operations is 90% of our medical system. And when it should be 10%, 90% should be education. Mm. And people are not educated on this whole new problem that we're facing today. And this all stems into women going into the workplace. Because as soon as women went into the workplace, their stress levels doubled. Hmm. And stress, and this is proven, this is, you can measure it in their body, the stress cortisol, it doubles in the workplace. And all sickness and disease, which we call today lifestyle diseases, mm-hmm. cancer is a lifestyle disease. Diabetes is a lifestyle disease. Heart disease is a lifestyle disease. Just we'll take those first three. We can keep going on and on and on and on. Autoimmune diseases, lifestyle diseases. This is a whole new category of diseases which are all based upon the stress of our lifestyle, period. When they say these are lifestyle diseases, it means if you change your lifestyle, you don't get sick. And yet everybody is dying of these sicknesses because of our lifestyle. And the lifestyle is a lifestyle that causes stress. And if you look at it on the surface, and I'm not looking at it just on the surface, but I have to describe the surface as well, is that when women are in the workplace today, as an average, their stress levels are twice as high. Mm-hmm. Now, simplistic mind says, well, then women shouldn't be in the workplace. That's not my mind. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm saying but that is part of the problem. So if you want to solve the problem, you get down to the cause of it. The workplace does not stimulate the hormone oxytocin. It stimulates the hormone testosterone, which is actually more beneficial for men than it is for women. Sure. And when women are stressed in the workplace, then they come home and they're stressed at home. And then when women are stressed at home, men become stressed at home. And so everybody is more stressed than ever before. So now, talk a little bit about... Well, um, let me just finish the one point so it's not taken out of context. Yeah, yeah. So the solution is not that women shouldn't be in the workplace. Right. 
the solution is that women need to create a new kind of relationship at home that nourishes and nurtures higher levels of oxytocin in a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. And we've actually identified that. Women have identified it. They don't know that's what they're saying, but they say we want more communication, right. we want more romance, and we want more help. And in my mother's generation, she could have cared less about romance or help from my dad except being a good provider, and that was it. But today's woman needs more, and she articulates it as a complaint, and men don't know what she's talking about. And in most cases, the way she complains about it is highly unrealistic, and she'll never get what she wants unless she's able to reframe how she communicates her new needs as well as put it into a context that she's not a victim, but that she's responsible and capable of raising her oxytocin levels. And when a man in her life is approached the right way, it can raise her oxytocin levels even more. Hmm. So I tell, talk a little bit about what it is she needs to say. Does she need to say something different in making Oh, my gosh. There's like, I read a whole book of that, pages and pages and pages. <laughs> Here's one simple thing. <laughs> I mean, one word, one sentence is not going to change this mammoth problem that's caused our health care problem, our economic problem. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and the right. enormous amount of divorce, which, by the way, divorce is another problem. Where people are saying, well, divorce pretty much flattened out at 50%. I said, no, no, no. People don't realize that now 50% more women and men are not getting married. So this is like massive changes, that the world is crumbling before our eyes, and we keep looking in the wrong direction for the solution. The solution always starts in the home. Mm -hmm. It starts between men and women, the quality of our relationships. This is what we're all struggling economically for, is to create loving homes and so forth. It's the most important issue. You ask for one practical thing. One simple thing is simply, if you want to go out to eat, women, (laughs) you don't say to your husband, do you want to go out to eat? He's going to say, of course not. He wants to stay home and watch TV. <laughs> say, will you take me out to eat? I'd really love it. Then he'll do it. But if you ask him what he wants, he'll tell you what he wants. And this is what happens all the time. That's one out of a thousand suggestions that I would give in a book to start turning this thing around. Simple but vital. Well, we have more to talk about with John Gray when we come right back. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. 
make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leaders the world has been waiting for. Call today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. We're speaking with John Gray today, Dr. John Gray, best known as a world-leading relationship author of all time. John, and we've been talking a lot about, obviously, relationships and um, some of the things that make relationships work and not and the, the differences between men and women. I'd like you to get a little bit um, more pointed about um, what we need to do, really, to lower stress in relationships and, um, you know, what we need to do to get what we want in the world. I mean, aren't we all just here trying to get through? Yeah, well, we have to identify what's most important to us. Part of the disease that human beings have is when they make something that's not important more important than it is. Mm. As soon as you do that, then you're making things that are important less important. And what we have to realize for women and a lot of this interview today is about what women's needs are because that's what's being neglected the most. That's on a metaphor level. That's what's happening to the planet. The planet Mother Earth has been completely neglected. And the irony here, it's not that men are neglecting women, although that's part of the problem. It's that women are neglecting women. Mm-hmm. Women are losing touch with the feminine spirit. Women are losing touch with that way of life that nurtures femininity and have focused in the last 30 years on that way of life which focuses on nurturing masculinity. Mm-hmm. Our masculine side is our testosterone-stimulated side. And women are doing jobs every day that stimulate testosterone. Right. It feels good. It produces endorphins. It pays their bills. But it doesn't nurture the female spirit. It doesn't, re- it doesn't stimulate a hormone called oxytocin, which is absolutely necessary to keep stress levels in a healthy level for women. And when women are stressed, they go out of balance. When our body has too much cortisol, we gain weight. When our body has too much cortisol, we have half the amount of energy. When our body has too much cortisol, we now crave unhealthy foods like refined sugars and sweets and fine, refined carbohydrates. When our cortisol levels are too high, our digestion starts to decrease. The pancreas literally makes less less enzymes to digest our proteins, which in turn can't make the brain chemicals to make us feel good. Mm -hmm. When cortisol levels are elevated, immediately our, our white blood cell count begins to drop. And we no longer have an immune system that can protect us from the growth of cancer. So there's no wonder that we have all this sickness and disease in the same way when we neglect the earth, when we ignore the needs of the earth, when we create devastation, when we puncture the earth with, you know, to make our oil wells, and then we create all this pollution as a result. We don't clean up after ourselves. What happens is devastation, and this is happening to our planet. Every time somebody goes into a fast food restaurant and they buy some of that, one of those hamburgers, Basically, what they're doing is they're contributing to the one football field of, of um, Amazon trees that are, are being uh, torn down every second. 
this is a mammoth amount of trees that are being torn down in order to create grazing land for cattle so that they can have the meat for those fast food restaurants. Mm. You know, our lifestyle is just so far out of balance. People are not aware of how each day they're contributing. When they go to the Gap and they buy their pants, it would cost for $35. You can buy a pair of pants. If you buy them from a a factory where people actually have a living wage, they're going to cost you $150 to buy those pants. Mm. But no, they're dependent upon slave labor. Everything we do, we buy all this stuff. It's all dependent upon slave labor. Uh, but we're not aware of it, and, and I can go buy those clothes. At least I'm aware of it, and I'm trying to do something about it every day in whatever way I can. Yeah. We have to become aware of the problems, and the way it counts, the way we make a difference is we, we, we vote, and not just voting in the polls. We vote in, in, in petitions that go around. We vote in our awareness of what what's good for the environment, what's not good for the environment, where we put our money, where we invest our money. All these things are statements, and we can contribute. We can make a difference. There's a lot of little ways we can start doing it, and the more we find little ways, another way comes, another way comes. And this You're is, talking this about is, nothing less than transformation. That's right. I mean, this is what's required today. But you can't even think of these kind of solutions or apply them in your own life if you're not personally fulfilled, if you're not able to lower the stress levels in your life. One of the ways I have contributed to the problem is certainly whenever I get a chance to speak about this, global warming. The global warming thing is a huge crisis, and the the tragedy is now more and more people think it's not a crisis, and yet all the evidence shows it's happening even faster. I've gone to Alaska. I've seen the glaciers all melting down. When the glaciers melt down, we do not have an air conditioning system for the planet. It's going to heat up. It's going to change all the weather patterns. It's going to create devastation. Already in the last year, 300,000 people have died in the last year from some of the effects, known effects, of the just small change in temperature, which has already occurred. It's just we, you know, America tends to be living in a part of the world that isn't being as severely affected by it. However, we had to stop, you know... We had to stop fishing salmon for two years, or we're going to run out of salmon. The, right. the whole devastation of the life of all the fish and the pollution of the ocean, such huge problems left and right everywhere. We have to come back to sanity in our own personal lives, and then our vote will count. You know, well, we're all I impotent. We're running around overwhelmed, stressed out, overheated. What we have to do in our own lives mm-hmm. is calm down and find balance yeah. in our lives is one of the most important things. And and And... Increase the awareness, and I'm speaking now to women, which is just as women have neglected themselves and their own personal happiness, and as a result, we see in menopause they're overheating. It's neglecting the feminine spirit. Women are designed to speak out the problems. And so I call upon the women that continually speak out the problem, speak out the problem. Men are on ice, they won't do anything until they recognize there is an emergency here. And if women don't point out the emergency, if women aren't aware of the emergency, if women don't articulate it, men will just sleep through the whole thing until maybe it's too late. Hmm. No, no pressure on the women here. (laughs) You know, I think that um, what you're saying, John, is we really need to look at our own fulfillment first. We need to take our responsibility as women as important, you know. And that because when you're coming from a place of greater fulfillment, you're able to language the problem better. It right. tends to be less of blame and more about what the problem is, and right. we get good practice on that in our relationships with right. our partners. Right. Be able to articulate problems, ask for help without making somebody feel blamed is quite a feat of good communication. Right. 
And, well, and I, I would imagine that you are not just talking gender here, though we've been talking about gender for most of the program, but, um, you know, we have a large percentage of the population that are in same-sex relationships, and you know, my guess is that these hormones and the way people deal with stress plays out whether it's male or female, Right. Oh, well, clearly there's a whole different arrangement of hormones in, in, in gay couples. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all human beings, and, and we all have our own unique functioning, and when you suddenly have a different sexual preference, it's because there is different wiring in the brain. Mm-hmm. There, there are different balances of hormones. There's not a whole lot of research for me to pull on to back this mm-hmm. up, but, you know, some of the basics are, you know, like the, the gay man has way much higher, higher need for testosterone than the straight man. He has higher levels of testosterone. He has a higher need for it, which is one of the reasons why he's not attracted to women because women lower your testosterone levels. Uh, the oxytocin, the experience of having sex with a woman, actually causes a man's testosterone levels to drop, which then he has to then pull away to rebuild those testosterone levels. Some men have such a great need for testosterone that they're not even drawn to women, but they're drawn to other types of situations that would increase their testosterone. Yeah. That's interesting. That's just only one. That's just like a tiny uh, right, right. piece of information. There's so much. And, and, but basically, you know, we're, as human beings, we're all spirits, and we all have a role to play in this world and communicate, you know, our needs and, and, and find a way to help solve problems in the world. You know, I see the challenges for the gay community right now is articulating, you know, just what I said, which is mm-hmm. that every single person has a right to who they are and to have an, yeah. an opportunity to make a difference in the world, and, mm-hmm. and that's more about uh, human rights, which is another big issue, without a doubt. When I see my work, what I'm seeing is helping the human rights issue by, just for any heterosexual couple, when you start to learn to embrace and accept differences yeah. in a heterosexual relationship, it will certainly expand your awareness so you realize that everyone has their own unique differences and they need to be honored rather than shamed or rejected or put down. Well, John, I know people are going to want to know a whole lot more about your work. How can they learn more? Well, a variety of ways. Certainly my books are always available at Amazon, but every day there's a new article on my website. Uh, we have MarsVenus.com is our general website. and has lots of pieces to it. And one of the easy pieces to connect to is the Mars Venus Living Magazine, online magazine, and it's free, and you can come on and, and read uh, the archives, and we've got articles on all kinds of subjects from intimacy to dating to wellness to the environment to physical health and longevity, all kinds of great stuff, as well as dating. One of my favorite columns on the website is written by mm-hmm. my daughter, Lauren, which is guys are from Mars, uh, chicks are from Venus, and that's a fun one as well. <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you so much, John, for being here today. We so appreciate it. You can get John's book on Amazon and all major bookstores, Why Mars and Venus Collide, and your upcoming book, Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice, to be out in December, January, right? Yes. All right. Thanks, John Gray. Remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. 
Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.